This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 110 for Tuesday 26th of November 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host Denise Pico. Welcome back. Hello, it's been a while. Now, it has. It's also been since we uploaded the last episode so I'm, I'm filled with guilt and remorse and uh we're going to we're going to knock out a a punchy to the point episode covering three things that have happened and they're not necessarily the things that happened i'm not going we're not going to talk about the hundred and twenty thousand dollar payout to sarah hansen young from david Lanehorn for smearing her in the most vile way uh we're not going to talk about westpac and their millions of breaches and fraudulent money laundering no, because then we'd need to talk about the uh, amendments to the union uh, integrity bill that the government have snuck out at what, I think it was like a quarter to four on Friday afternoon. Mm. So basically, Westpac can commit all manner of serious criminal offences and have no consequence, but if a union fills in paperwork a day late or with a minor error in it, then they can be completely deregistered. Three times. They'd have to do it three separate occasions. <laughs> and keep in mind that obviously a huge part of what they've done to unions is criminalise any union doing actual union things that protect workers. Like, it's almost impossible to strike. It's almost impossible to uh, genuinely advocate for workers. It's impossible to compete if you're the uh, the SDA competitor union that's trying to actually represent workers. Uh, you can't even get into the into the supermarkets and the, and the sites where the workers are. You know, basically they've criminalised union activity to the point where, weirdly enough, we've got wages being suppressed uh, as... Uh, it is, it's like weird, some... it's weird, but our economy's growing. But we're not going to talk about those things today. No, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk... You know what, the first thing we can probably knock over very quickly as well, and that is that Falau came back and tried to blame the uh, bushfires on marriage equality. Well, not just marriage equality, also abortion. Yes. This would seem to me, and, and, and oh, there's been a lot of lefty remarks to this, which like, why are you, why is anybody giving this, this crank... The you know the, the prominence airing his views. Why are we hearing? Why, why is it important for us to hear any more from this you know dangerous lunatic? Why don't we just sort of you know deny him the platform? What is it? The deplatform moves off allow. Well, that would be great if we had been able to deny him the platform previously, and if a good chunk of these religious discrimination laws weren't being written specifically because of what happened to him. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the point about this: that the government is currently trying to sneak these um, religious discrimination laws through uh there's a huge danger of it happening uh they've just made them worse but it's just oh, announced God. that they're gonna make it even easier for a broader range of uh religious affiliated organizations to discriminate against taxpayer funded religious affiliated organizations in a lot of cases yeah so they're making it even worse so after all of all of the the uh responses uh after all of the pushback They've just gone. You know what? Yeah, you know what? It's right. It's it's not nasty enough to LGBTI people. Uh, so yes, that's that's why things like flower are important because they, a big chunk of 
the legislation is specifically addressing flower. Like they refer to it as the flower clause. Yeah, and they keep referring to it in examples. Like they give it as like, look at this man who was bullied out of his job and fired, you know, um, because he was forced, to, because he had the audacity to speak up for his beliefs. Now, it should it should be enough for people to hear what he was saying about LGBTI people to um, have no sympathy for the crank and to think it's ridiculous that the law be changed to make it easier for him to do that. Mm. But uh, that may not be in and of itself enough. So for the people who don't care about LGBTI people but who are uh, votes that the government still wants to have, the idea that they can be separated from Falau because he's gone and committed the, in you know, mainstream media terms in Australia, the much more cardinal sin of uh, assault, insulting bushfire survivors and, yeah. and victims... Uh, if that can be highlighted to the point where uh, Falau's name is mud even with those people, uh, then that's a good thing. It undermines the ability of the government to use Falau to get these horrible amendments through. Yeah, and I think that needs to get brought up a lot. Yeah, his name should be mud, and it should be something where the government can no longer use that story to get support for what they're trying to do. That's true, it should be. Now, while we're on the subject of the bushfires, uh, our, our horrific Prime Minister has been out there. There's two particular things that, that he's done in the last week that uh, we we're going to comment on. One, one of them is a ridiculous tweet that you've got there. Well, you know, for good old sporting fans, it's, it's an interesting tweet. So in the context here, people are, people have died, people are losing their homes. We, we haven't, I don't think we've even talked about the Barnaby Joyce um, remarks, but let's just, let's ignore Let's leave Barnaby alone Let's deplatform Barnaby from this place. Yes, exactly. Uh, Bar- Barnaby is unfortunately unable to be deterred by, <laughs> apparently he's like Donald Trump, he's Teflon. You can't, if, if he gets away, he's gotten away with what he's done up to now, let's just ignore him. All right, but you but know, Australia, Australia were playing Pakistan at the GABA. It had been since, what, the 1980s since they lost a game at the GABA uh, playing as and all of these, like, people were all talking about it at work and, and the cricket, it's on everyone's tongue, right? Including our Prime Minister. Yeah, more than more than having empathy for the people. Uh, he so tweets. Just, he like, tweets. Going to be a great summer of cricket, and for our firefighters and fire impacted communities, I'm sure our boys will give them something to cheer for. How magnificent! Hit him for six. Yeah, yeah, that makes it all fine, Scamo. That's I just well, and I, it's a picture of him. At the GABA. And the great thing, didn't this come after he was pretty much invisible for a few days? He yeah, just, yeah, like, he disappeared while, while people were dying and he comes back to be like... Let, at the cricket. He's kind of promoting the cricket. He's using the bushfires to promote the cricket, really. <laughs> what? Um, and, and this is also in the context in the same way. So let, what if you don't have electricity and television and can't watch the cricket because you've lost everything? Oh, but, you know... You can go down to the pub and watch it on a big screen down oh, at the RSL and the pokies. There you go. He's he's a terrible person, and he's come out. He, I'm going to play some audio from an interview he did with Sabra Lane from the ABC, in which he basically runs a couple of uh, bullshit smears that we've talked about before, and just just you can keep your ears open for them. Uh, being primarily the the two lines of you know we're doing our part anyway. We've, we're doing our part, so mm. we're, we're in fact ahead because of stuff that happened. Before he was there, under the labour carbon price, it actually worked. But he takes credit for the fact that they that that got ahead on Kyoto, and then they're trying to use those credits for Paris. Mm. And it's it's a dodgy accounting trick being used to avoid taking actual steps and actually doing anything. And he's pretending that it's him doing something when all it's doing is taking trying to use something that happened before he was in there and and not do what we're supposed to do. Anyway, 
So there's that bullshit line. But then there's the more fundamental one that uh, his line, that his side will run. And because Scummo's on record saying that he accepts that climate change is connected to the bushfires. He's already, mm-hmm. he's already admitted that. So his line is that it's not anything that Australia is doing uh, that's connected to it, though. The, the climate change is beyond Australia. We're only 1.3% of the world's emissions, uh, and uh, you know there's nothing we can do when we're so small. And there are three points that we'll make in relation to that. Mm. Um, in fact, I'll make them before we play them. We'll play them, and then we can come back after we say them. So the, the three obvious points about that are, one, uh, our emissions are substantially greater if you include the stuff that we export, yes. which then gets... which can only be burned, the, the, the coal and gas are there to be burned, and our impact our impact on the environment in those is well more than 1.3% if you count that stuff. Two, uh, we are not doing our part per capita. Like, we can't exactly turn around to any of the other countries in the world and say, uh, you guys need to reduce your emissions. So I can't, whenever the people who are running this line disingenuously, they're like, oh, well, China um, you know, pollutes a lot more. Not per person, they don't, and we can't make them pollute less or encourage them to pollute less no, we really while can't. we're doing so much more per person. They'll turn around and be like, "Are you kidding? Like, yeah. if we were polluting the same amount per person as you, ours would be like double." Yeah. So we we are by not doing our part, we lose our ability to persuade the bigger countries. So the action that needs to happen needs to be all of us. And we can't expect the rest of the world to do it, particularly when we're not doing our part. But then there's the third one, and this is the one that's the most galling of all: Scummo's government and did the same under Tony Abbott and did the same under Malcolm Turnbull, specifically goes around sabotaging these climate deals. Like, Australia is a spoiler. We go in there and deliberately try to make sure that they don't come up with any meaningful targets. Those agreements themselves are weaker than they would be if not for Australia. So there are three things that we are very much doing to punch above our weight in making the problem worse. Well, apparently today Adam Bamp specifically asked the PM if he'd apologise to the victims of the bushfires for exporting record amounts of thermal coal. And Morrison said that the idea that a higher emissions target would have prevented the recent bushfires is an outright lie. Oh, that's the other... outright lie. That's his other fudge, because it's like... It is... He's saying that these particular... Actually, we'll play play the audio, but but you notice how he carefully passes it. So he does... He carefully passes it to be like, these particular bushfires aren't necessarily impacted by the particular changes that we've done in the last, you know, year or two under my government or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's true, <laughs> but it's incredibly misleading because, of course, they're impacted by the climate change that is increasing yes. as, as a result of... The previous... record drought and the temperatures and all sorts of things. Well, and, and actions we've all done to um, exacerbate climate change previously. And what we're doing now will have the impact of causing the next lot of... But it, like, for him to be like, well, I mean... Yeah, you know, I, 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 I <laughs> the, 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 the thing that's happening right now is not impacted by the, the thing that has a delay in it that's happening right now. Mm. But the thing that's having, that we're not acting on that has a delay in it right now is certainly impacting on the next lot. And this is an example of the kind of thing that we're making worse. And it's, it's a infuriating fudge. Anyway, look, I'll play you, I'll play you the bit for it. I mean, in February, I acknowledged the, the, the contribution of those factors uh, to, to what was happening in Australia, amongst many other issues. But let me say this, Sabra. The suggestion that any way, shape or form, with Australia uh, accountable for 1.3% of the world's emissions, that the individual actions of Australia are impacting directly on specific fire events, whether it's here or anywhere else in the world, that doesn't bear up to credible scientific evidence either. Climate change is a global phenomenon, and we're doing our bit as part of the response to climate change. We're taking action on climate change. 
But I think to suggest that with just at 1.3% of global emissions, that Australia doing something differently, more or less, uh, would have um, changed the fire outcome this season, I don't think that stands up to any credible scientific evidence at all. The former Chief of Victorian Country Fire Service, Neil Bibby, says the Federal Government fundamentally doesn't like talking about climate change and that politics is the reason why the Federal Government is ignoring their advice. How do you respond to that? We like taking action on climate change. That's what we like doing. We've got our commitments for Kyoto 2020. Remember, they are the commitments that were put in place to deal with the global climatic conditions that we're experiencing right now. And we not only lived up to those commitments for next year, but we will beat them by 367 million tonnes. If anything, Australia is an overachiever on our commitments, on global commitments. And for 2030, we will meet those as well with the, with the mechanisms that we've put in place and whether we ensure we do achieve that and we'll take the action necessary to do that. So, you know, I'm, I'm up for taking action on it, not just gabbering on about it. Goldman Sachs outlined in a report in September the need to adapt... I, I am so infuriated that Savrilane let him get away with all that bullshit without any kind of... Like, oh, but everyone gets a lot and get away with that bullshit. Um, how does ABC not know? They must know about the Kyoto stuff. That's a fudge. Like, why can't they point that out? Why can't they say to him, but hang on, Australia's 1.3%. Because they're trying to prove that they're, they're not lefties. They're trying to prove that they're balanced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and being lefties would be holding the Prime Minister account when he says bullshit, like the 1.3% figure. How it is the ABC doesn't turn around and say, hang on, but that's massive per capita and um, you, we sabotage those agreements and we don't, and you don't, isn't it true that, um, you know, we, if we're so much more... We're the third largest exporter of pollution and, yeah. you know, like... How can we persuade these bigger countries to do anything if we're doing so much more per capita? There's a pointed question for the Prime Minister. Why are none of them asking? I mean, I know why the ABC I, aren't because they're, yeah. I, I like that previously he's been saying this isn't the time to talk about climate change and now he's like i don't want to talk about climate change i just want to do stuff about climate change i'm not going to gabber on about it and all the stuff he's taking credit for about the action that we're doing was stuff that he opposed Uh that labor did well and it's also interesting because he's talking about like this is global climate change this is things that affect the world globally and you almost hear him wanting to say but that's different that's not what's affecting australia it's anyway that's so. That's the prime minister. So basically, we're, unless we can, unless we can get rid of scummo, we're all we're all doomed pretty much. And I, I don't know. It's terrifying. I, I'm terrified. The entire world is lunging in a direction of just. It's going to be way too late by the time we do anything about it. So anyway, it's a good thing that we uh, just had kids, isn't it? Hooray! Yay! I'm sorry, kids. What have we all done? Oh dear. This podcast is brought to you by Weeping Uncontrollably. You're sitting there in a waiting room, and you pick up a tabloid newspaper. You're cleaning up after your children whilst listening to a podcast. And there it is. You've just learned of a new cruelty imposed by the people in power in this country on the most vulnerable. How can you process this new horror? What can you do? Try weeping uncontrollably. It won't solve the problem, but it will mean that you still retain your ability to object to atrocities as they happen. 100% more effective at retaining your basic humanity than its nearest competitor, Numb Resignation. Try weeping uncontrollably today. The last thing I wanted to cover in this um, quick episode is a thing that was tweeted by Annabelle Crabb, also tweeted by Lee Sales supportively and Mark Riley from Channel 7 and a bunch of other Canberra journos, quoting and, and in fact, um, Annabelle Crabb released it from the pay of the financial review paywall by tweeting a photograph of it. 
Um, a piece by Craig Emerson, which I'm going to read to you because you haven't you haven't read this yet, have you? No, I have not. All right. So, though so, reading Annabelle Crabbe's tweet, I now get the context for a tweet I saw the other day. Well, where... Annabelle Crabbe's tweet is this piece in the Fin today by Craig, Dr. Craig Emerson is so good that I'm unilaterally releasing it from the paywall. There must be a better way. I then saw a tweet linking to a Greg Jericho opinion piece in the Guardian, which doesn't have a paywall, and it said. This article by Greg J- by Grog Scrammett is so good that I'm unilaterally releasing it from the paywall. There must be a better way. And it was just a link to the article. And I'm like... Is that his one that about, about how centrism is, is killing us all? It's yeah, kind of yes. This, yeah, that's actually... It's very good. It's a I, great piece. I'm not going to quote... I, basically, I, where I'm going to quote Emerson's piece for reactions, um, I'm not quoting Greg's because I think you should just read it. Absolutely, you should. But suddenly that, that tweet, which I was slightly confused about because I'm like, this isn't behind a payroll. What's going on? Makes entire sense. <laughs> so this is what Annabelle Crabb, ABC journalist and also supported by her mate Lee Sales and other journos from the Canberra Gallery. This is what they thought was a worthwhile piece. Now, uh, Craig Emerson being a former Labor minister mm-hmm. and one of the two people who just did the Labor review into what went wrong at the election. Ooh, the highly successful and insightful Labor review of what went wrong at the election. I don't know how we judge whether it was successful or not. Uh, okay, well, how about just the highly insightful? <laughs> uh, the one... Yeah. Well, we, Look, it drew a lot of conclusions. Yes, we've talked. We, we yes, it did. Um, so, so, <laughs> anyway, so we'll it was Craig on. Emerson and former South Australian Premier Jay Weatherall who did who did that one. So this is this probably makes some more. It probably makes more sense given that this is this is the attitude of one of the authors. Yes. Uh, the conclusions that they reached. Tribalism is blighting Australia. Uh, with the subheading extreme prejudice, politics seems to be retreating from the age of reason into a tribalism that prefers dogma to rational thought. Uh Tribalism is killing civil discourse in our country and around the world. That's fair. I'm not opposed so far. Depends on what he's going to. Which which examples of tribes he's going to give us, I suppose. When a society reverts to tribes, doctrine supplants logic and reason with such force that rational thinkers deploying scientific tools to inform their views are treated as tribal enemies. All right, well, my, my uh, hackles are up a bit because he's talking about him. The rational thinkers deploying scientific tools sounds suspiciously like he's going to be patronisingly putting himself in that camp. Oh, by the way, the other thing we should, of course, know is that um, well, Emerson now does sort of uh, advisory lobby sort of work for various companies, including coal exporters, the, oh, the fossil fuel lobby. Right. Anyway, so it was last week with bushfires reigniting the climate wars, and so it will be in future policy contests in Australia. It is deeply worrying. As bushfires raged, properties and habitat were destroyed and people lost their lives. The Nationals and Greens seized a political opportunity to appeal to their tribes by hurling vitriolic insults at each other and anyone who failed to pledge allegiance. A Green senator likened Liberal and Labour legislators to arsonists, while the leader of the Nationals branded climate change protesters inner-city raving lunatics. That was McCormack. They don't need the ravings of some pure, enlightened and woke capital city greenies. He also doubled down on it. He didn't back back on it either. So this is a Labour person trying to say that the Greens, you calling uh, people who are opposed to action on climate change arsonists, is equivalent to uh, just a random smear at, at uh, what, Green supporters. Well, no, people protesting climate change. Um, they, he's equating them all to being Green supporters. They're not. And that they had the audacity in any way. 
I'm re- rejecting the uh, attempt to, to portray. Uh, okay, so this is the whole labour pitch. We're in the middle, and and you people are. All, uh, the Greens are just the opposite of the of the Nats or One Nation or whatever. Um, on social media, I accepted Barnaby Joyce's explanation of his reference to two people who perished in the fires as probable Greens voters, that he was empathising with all his constituents, regardless of their political preferences, and noted that their local community supported hazard reduction. For that, I was branded a climate change denier and a supporter of Joyce's views on abortion. See the medieval dogma. If I defend a statement made by a member of another tribe, I too must be a member of that tribe. Uh, no. Uh, no. No. Um, no. No. Uh, it goes the other way too. Facebook pages have been jammed with posts claiming the bushfires are being caused by greenies preventing hazard reduction in the cooler months. That a few environmentalists could dictate policy to state governments and fire services is tribal propaganda. Yeah, it's also an absurd lie. So one of them... But it's also an absurd lie that continues to be spread by the media as well. Uh, yeah, and but so, he, so again, he's equating a stupid smear saying that the fires are caused by the greenies not doing hazard reduction when A, hazard reduction is certainly Green's policy and B, the Greens aren't in power. Like no. they have, they, They're not... The idea that, uh, weirdly, Craig's missed the idea that the fact that the New South Wales state government uh, massively underfunded the rural fire service. Mm. Uh, He's also missed the fact that the, you know, there's a variety of fire chiefs and ex-fire chiefs who basically sat there saying that the period for fire reduction is getting a lot smaller, and so they've been able to do less of it every year. Particularly they don't have the resources to do a lot quickly. Um, So, but yeah, he's he's trying to say that uh, blaming the Greens for that, which is nonsense, that's that's the equivalent of... Um, when he comes out and defends Barnaby Joyce saying that the, the people who died in the fire were probably Greens voters and people are like, why are you defending that? Like, those are, those are equivalents? He's bonkers. By the way, this is not the worst. The worst will come um, shortly. Oh, um, good. We, we, we'll get I, to I'm it. looking forward to it. Uh, encouragingly, the Liberals and Labor... Oh God, they're just so self-satisfied. The, the Liberals and Labor have stayed out of the verbal rock-throwing, but the descent into tribalism is a global phenomenon. Groucho Marx famously stated, those are my principles, and if you don't like them, well, I have others. But it doesn't have that makes any Why sense. Why is that relevant? In the world of Donald Trump, if the president doesn't like the facts, then he has alternative facts. It's all part of the politics of protecting the tribe from dangerous outsiders, building a wall and telling non-white progressive congresswomen to go back where they came from, despite their birthplace being America. Okay, well, that is that, a stupid thing that the right does. I don't that, understand how... That is a horrible thing that they do, but I... Okay. Waves of refugees going through Europe from Mortal and Syria accelerated the continent's reversion to tribalism as political support for nationalist parties surged. Well, also, you you and the Labour Party didn't really stand up against it, did you? While national boundaries are often arbitrary, typically drawn hastily following catastrophic wars, 21st century humans are backing the nation-state. And they become, are becoming cynical about global institutions such as the UN and even the World Trade Organization. And what have you done in Parliament, Greg, to um, push back against that? Nothing. Interestingly, when I lived in the UK in 97, 98, there were these issues. There were issues about we have too many immigrants here, too many people are coming from wherever. At the time, it was a lot of too many people are coming from Pakistan and too many people are coming from India and, and we're getting too many people here. Oh, have you seen all the people coming from Eastern Europe? Because, like, there were... <sighs> It's just changed the people they're focusing it on. There was a there was a big issue with Germany at the time because they felt that they were being the uh, employment rates were quite high in Germany and people felt that the immigration was too high there. Like this isn't a new thing, just caused by this specific crisis. No, no, well, that's right. It's just been a 
yeah, it's, it's, it's an it's eternal been, human thing. And it's, it's been a large amount of people coming, but at the same point, it's yeah, it's not a new situation. Yeah, it's weird that he's going from yeah from war torn Syria as if that's the thing that's the point at which this sort of racism grew. Here's an alternative thesis, Craig. It's that the so-called progressive parties, the mainstream centre parties like yours, have done an absolutely piss-weak job of pushing back against that kind of yeah. resurgent right-wing nationalism. It's, it's, it's always there. It's always going to be a... a it, it doesn't... You could completely just, um, you know, smother it and it'll just... It doesn't take anything for the fans of because of, of that kind of hatred to come back again. Because if a group of people from somewhere else, an outside group, come into a place, um, the, it's really easy to blame them and see mm. them as another and portray them as the responsible for all the ills in that country. That will always happen. And the only pushback, the only way that doesn't get turned into what it has turned into, is if the centre-left and the more mainstream um, political parties... It happened in southern Ontario. Say in- no. It happened in Southern Ontario post-World War II when there was a large amount of Italian and Polish immigration. It happened in the central Canada. There's a large amount of Ukrainian immigration. Like, these things, when this happened, it created this backlash. My dad talks about it being a kid and being Hungarian in, in, in that area and and dealing with racism and stuff and people go back to where you came from. Like, And that- you need, the, you need the, the big left parties, or supposedly left parties, to be standing up and talking to working-class people mm-hmm. And explaining to them how the challenges that they're facing are not from these people. Yep. That those those people are not the people who are undercutting you. Those are not the people who are, um, you know, flo- in, since the seventies with automation taking away the jobs. Those are. It's not because of immigrants. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because a whole lot of other phenomena have reduced. Yes. Wages and conditions, and it's weird that, that all of the benefits from the automation have flowed upwards, and they haven't. In a, uh, the, the idea that Jeremy Corbyn in the UK at the moment is being pilloried for suggesting a four-day working week—why not? Like since the seventies, work the the amount that can be produced due to automation and computers and such mm. is so, we are so much more productive than we were then. And yeah, and we've also got substantial. Like, oh, and every twice. study that ever has been done pretty much shows that the shorter working week is actually better for productivity. Yeah. I don't understand why we can't do it. We've got twice as many workers because prior to the 70s, you know, women weren't largely in the workforce. So you've got substantially more, a, a much larger proportion of the of the population are working. Hmm. And yet, for some reason, yeah, we've population. got automation. And yet, for some reason, we don't seem to be able, we, we all seem to be needing to work longer hours. Long, but that yeah. doesn't make any sense. Multiple jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the benefits are not being... Mm. Anyway... Craig continues, Tribalism can be a force for good, helping give us a sense of identity. We barrack for our favourite football and netball teams. We encourage our child's school team to defeat another school's team. We will be cheering for Australia at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. It's all part of our tribal instinct, instilled in humans since prehistoric times. Which is why we should probably be wary about that kind of... Um, anyway, that, that, being, that being considered a virtue. Anyway... But tribalism is becoming associated with anti-intellectualism. When I entered Parliament in 1998, attacks on, quote, economic rationalism were all the rage on the progressive side of politics. Yeah, that's, that's because economic rationalism is not particularly rational, and it's just what... It's, it's, its proponents think that it's rational, but it's deeply flawed and screwed us all. But anyway, I showed Bob Hawke a draft of my first speech where I wrote, We surely should not support economic irrationalism. That's not the... That's, <clears throat> that isn't the alternative. He strongly approved. I told Parliament that One Nation and other national socialists were the champions of economic irrationalism, tariffs and financial policies that would impoverish Australian workers and destroy jobs. Now, now we get 
now we get to his paragraph that uh, deserves the biggest pillaring and <clears throat> has been pulled out uh, and, and mocked, as it should be. Yet more than 20 years later, national socialism is resurgent. But so is international green socialism, a variant of white supremacism. Just let that hang. Oh, this isn't the end of that sentence, but hang on. International green socialism, a variant of white supremacism. How does he come to this conclusion? The end of the sentence is, where well-off Greens demand the races of Asia and Africa forego economic development using fossil fuels to rectify the sins we white affluent humans have inflicted on the planet. So, <clears throat> so there's national socialism that's resurgent. Yes, we've seen the Nazis. Um, and then, but it's but it's like the same, just the same as international green socialism. Like they're just two sides of the same white supremacist coin. Um, <clears throat> what a take. No, and interesting because you're absolutely right. The white affluent humans have inflicted massive sins on this planet and we have inflicted massive sins on a lot of the countries that he's referring to there. Um, well, in they'll that, be the first victims of Yeah, but the, the thing is we've gone in and we've taken all their resources and we've destroyed their social structures and we've destroyed their uh, natural, like, everything um and yeah, well, colonialism was about yeah, was, yeah but we left them, and we've left them there with with very little and then we use the international monetary fund to put them into massive amounts of debt that only allows them to get out of debt if they continue to sell off their resources and put in factories that are hugely damaging and therefore put them at more risk exactly of being in the places where these temperature changes and all of these things are going to hit them first like you look at some and of the temperatures like they, they don't have there's no buffer to yeah you look at the temperatures that have been happening in india the past few weeks like it's it's wild well they, they hit 50 now yeah they get it's anyway it's and the smog and everything from the pollution so you're right we have a lot to uh, to answer to but sitting there and saying that we shouldn't from fossil fuels doesn't make us white supremacists. No, and, and there's two. And so there's two. I would suggest that uh, continuing to burn fossil fuels and, and make climate change worse, uh, securing the knowledge that uh, we we won't be the ones most severely hit by it. That's the real white supremacy. The one where we're like, well, uh, we don't value the human lives that are going to be lost yeah. as a result of this because they're implicitly because they're not like us. Like the the white, white supremacism is is in the not acting on climate change yeah, side. Yeah, it is. It's in not wanting to inconvenience ourselves so that we have some sort of benefit for other people. And the, the white and the structures that we've set up, not wanting to change the structures we've set up and the system we have set up. This line, by the way, that that it's um, <laughs> climate targets that uh, impact on developing nations because uh, they would they might want to use supposedly cheap coal except coal isn't actually uh, the cheaper way of generating yeah. energy now anyway um so the the idea that that's a that's the fossil fuel lobby very very heavily it's it's the the classic one of trying to find a thing it's like the um the the finding the refugees are dr boat people are drowning it's the oh actually it's because we care about care about the that's we've got to have these harsh border policies because we care about the lives like it doesn't sound very scrutiny because if you cared about the lives you wouldn't be like 
stay in danger of the places that you're fleeing from. But it's it's a fudge. It's made like, ah, this will get the lefties. We'll be like, actually, we care more about them than you do. You're the ones responsible for them drowning, eh? <laughs> and this is the same thing. Oh, you're you're the ones who don't want these. Pe- you want these people to not have air conditioners when in the, when there's climate change because you don't want them to have reliable electricity. No, <laughs> one there are other energy sources. Two, um, air conditioning is actually bad for all of us. Well, it's a, it's we might need it as a coping thing now because the alternatives are um, heat deaths and so forth. Like it's yeah, I'm we, not we saying that, but I'm just saying but, that using it is creating more anyway. Well, only because only if because we're not sub- doing the transition. The transition is going to need to happen. It doesn't have to... There are certainly things that richer countries could be doing to make that transition easier on developing countries, but none of the people... People like Emerson aren't suggesting that because they don't care about that. What they care about is flogging off their coal. Uh-huh. Like, they... Th- if you were interested in the conditions in these countries, you wouldn't be, like, indifferent to... You wouldn't be indifferent to the impact of climate change and you wouldn't be saying that that's the only thing they can do. They can have our shitty coal or nothing. Yeah. That's not the only alternative that should be available no. to them. Um, and the, the other big reason why what he's saying is bullshit is because he's setting a hypocrisy where we're like, well, um, we get to burn all the coal and gas, but you people can't. No, no. nobody on, no, no environmentalist is saying you shouldn't, but we should. No. They're saying we, we should, so, this, this whole idea of that, what was it, they, they can't do it to rectify our sins. We shouldn't be doing it either. Yeah, and in fact, I think what we're saying first and foremost is that we shouldn't be doing it. Also, that we have the money to invest in these things, so we should be investing in these new technologies, which can then be used by other people as well. Yeah, I just am staggered that... And to try and equate national socialism, Nazis, with green socialists, those are not... Anyway, does it keep going? Um... Two tribes opposed to rational thought in favour of dogma. It looks and sounds eerily like the pre-Enlightenment period when tribes were formed around monarchs and religions, predominantly Christianity and Islam. It's a pity that action on climate change isn't actually the religion that the right keeps saying that it is. Because if it was, then it would finally be it'll be getting some extra protections and powers oh, God, now. It'd be amazing. Can we start the Church of Climate Change? Yeah, yeah. No, you, you're you're actually violating my my climate change religion yeah. by um, you know destroying the freaking planet. Yeah. Anyway, he bangs on about the age of reason and and anti-vaxxers and tries to equate all these things with acting on climate change consistently with the recommendations of what was it? eleven thousand scientists the other day came out and said we need to do this right now. Eleven thousand climate scientists. Like there's a huge. That's a oh. lot of scientists. That's not a hundred scientists. It's not a thousand scientists. Not five thousand scientists. It's eleven. That's a lot of people to get organised to. Then warning of what's going to happen. This is not a religion. This is a scientific warning of what we're facing, and to equate it with anti-vaxxers, national socialists, Galileo. Oh, and then he talks about his father in a German prisoner of war camp during Second World War. Oh yeah. yeah. So he's. <laughs> The doctrinaire right and the doctrinaire left, just exactly the same. They will not consign me to the opposing tribe for disagreeing with their dogma. My father survived Nazi dogma in a German prisoner of war, of war camp, but he started dying there. I won't let him down. It's time to rise up in support of the Enlightenment, the scientific method, and evidence-based policymaking. Let's rage against the blight of mindless, destructive tribalism. What are you talking about? The scientific method is the... Argument for action on climate change. It's what oh, the green, where? the international green socialists are advocating that we follow the advice of the scientific community. Yes, you're right, and that is madness. He's the director of RMIT's APEC Study Center. Did it say? 
Oh, and he's an, a distinguished fellow at the ANU and an adjunct professor at Victoria University's College of Business. Yes, the College of Business, because that's what he does. He's a lobbyist now for uh, interest, including the fossil fuel lobby, and then he's pushing their line. Oh, my God. But And that's obnoxious, and that's the fact that Labor... And we had a whole lot of stuff this week from... Uh, because it's like 10 years since Rudd's, uh, the Rudd Turnbull ETS fell apart sort of thing. Um and, and the ABC wrote an article where they were looking into the history of it and they were talking about how uh, Andrew Robb from the Coalition uh, basically is, sabotaged it and he, he, feigned, he feigned mental illness. He said that he, so he, came, he was supposed to be on leave for, for depression and so forth and he came to the meeting where Turnbull was uh, trying to sell the deal that he'd made with the, the ALP mm-hmm. um, and he, Robb wasn't being reached and so uh, he he sent a message up saying that he was unwell and and uh, the the mental illness was was affecting him and he needed to be able to go and could he just speak and so he stood up and um, you know basically lobbed a grenade in the middle of it and at the end of that um, Tony Abbott was was prime minister by the end of that week sort of thing anyway so it's about Andrew Robb having sabotaged everything and Andrew Robb is a, a filthy piece of work and it's, and it's difficult but they but they all the rest of the article so this is the ABC and this is the way they inform it, it like completely skipped over yeah. the so it, 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 it took to Rudd, uh, and Rudd blaming the Greens. Rudd blames the Greens more than the Liberals for, for his stupid ETS thing failing. Wow. Um, and they did eventually put in it, like a long way down the article, they put the Greens website bit where it refers to the Labor lines on the uh, 2009 ETS. Um, but they didn't give the Greens, they didn't talk to the Greens, it doesn't sound like. They didn't give an opportunity to respond to the stuff that Rudd was saying about them. Um, and they like, while blaming the they basically ran the Labour line that the, that the Greens let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which is not the Greens line at all. The Greens line is uh, not only was the the target at 5% way too low, it would have locked it in, but yeah. also it gave a huge amount of public money to the worst polluters. It would have locked in... Um, it would have made it harder to actually do anything yeah. meaningful, but it also was a backward step in terms of the amount of money that was going to basically facilitate people in continuing to, to pollute. pollute. Yeah. yeah. So the Greens' opposition to it isn't the, the perfect being the enemy of the good thing is nonsense, and you can tell that it's nonsense because they negotiated with Labor like two years later, or a year later, two years later, under with Gillard, and we got the carbon pollution reduction scheme, yeah. the carbon price, the carbon tax that Labor, the, the Liberals call it, that worked. Yes, all the stuff that that Scummo was talking about earlier in the episode about the, that we had made some progress in Kyoto was because of the Gillard Greens. Yes, it scheme. was. Like, we, our emissions started going down. They've gone up again ever since um, Abbott came in with his bullshit carbon tax axing uh, and all those lies about that, um, including that, that uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get your $500, uh, your energy bills will be $500 yeah. off. From there. Well, we're, we're all Still recognizing that. that's bullshit. Yeah. Our energy prices have skyrocketed because of what the Libs did. Um, but this ABC article didn't talk to the Greens, just quote it, just pulled up a bit from their website. And ignored the Gillard ETS entirely. Like, they acted like that hadn't even happened. They ran this thing that the Greens had ruined Rudd's deal. And they ignored the fact that Rudd wouldn't even talk to the Greens. Hmm. Which is a thing that the Greens might have pointed out. That like they tried to negotiate with the Rudd and Rudd's like, I'm not even going to meet with you. So that got dropped out. But the idea that they completely dropped out, that we actually did have action, that Labor negotiated with the Greens, thereby hmm. proving that the Greens don't make the, let the perfect be the enemy of the good because they negotiated with Labor. Yep. Like, it happened, it worked, and it's completely out of the story. They, like, just dropped it out completely. Yeah, well, why? It doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't suit them. That's the ABC. Like, how captured are they? 
not captured enough if you see how they're being covered in, you know, the Australian and stuff. About well, well that's it. I mean, there'll never be enough for the, yeah. I mean, the, the Australians. You still, they're still demanding that the ABC be merged with SBS and, and, and dismantled. But, yeah. Well, just like labor and the way that they're running will never be enough for the people they're running after, apparently, because the people they're running after are just going to vote liberal. Oh, yeah. Keneally's shit that she's been doing about trying to, trying to raise up uh, hatred about, against refugees who arrived by plane and trying to outflank oh. Dutton on the right. Like, that won't work because there's nothing stopping the Libs going, cool, we'll go after those refugees too. Because yeah. they freaking will. So thanks, Keneally. We don't yeah. need that. But secondly, you're reinforcing their line that refugees are a threat and a bad thing that needs to be stopped. Yeah. You can't, you can't win that argument. That's not the line you need to be selling. It's immoral, but it's also dumb politics. Yeah. The only way you counter that is to persuade people that refugees are not a problem because as long as you reinforce the idea that refugees are a threat the libs can always win that argument but look it's been working so well for them the past you know two elections they're going to they're genuinely going to egg the libs into kicking refugees even harder it's just monstrous anyway there's a whole lot of other things we're not going to talk about this episode we're not going to talk about the the six-month wait they're looking at for settling because if if you know the the what seven or eight week waits without any back pay, which is happening now. Like they they don't they, be too as soon much. as soon as they removed that that they have to pay you back for the for, to the time that you applied. That's they the massively most monstrous thing. Well, because yeah, at this point they can the longer they extend it, the more that they save. And keep in mind they're still trying to do their bullshit surplus or mm. end it or close. What is it? They're trying to say they've reached balance because they they're yeah. still like. What was seven seventy million or seven hundred million or something in deficit? But they're like, yeah. that's a rounding error. And we're not going to talk about real debt tonight. Uh, no, that they're brand- yeah. They're- okay, too many other things. Lots we'll do another episode soon, but we need to get one out. So we're going to stop that one here. Uh, Denise, where can people find you on the tubes? You can find me at DC at Twitter. And people can find us at at Well May We Say. If you want to have a discussion about the things from tonight's podcast, then we would greatly appreciate it because it makes such a difference when people are engaging with us and discussing what we're talking about. Because one hundred percent. It makes it feel much more worthwhile. It does. Uh, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Thank you for supporting us when we've been had a little bit of a slower um, output recently. Hopefully, we've got uh, I've got I think what's a good guest uh, lined up for next week. And uh, thank you to everybody who's left a positive review on iTunes. Thank you to Rob Ray for the music, Alex Lum for the artwork, and we'll see you all hopefully early next week. See you next week. Bye.